Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church New Bern podcast. My name is Paul Scott Chernitsky. I am one of your hosts. I am joined. Finally, she's been away. <laughs> she's been away from the podcast for so long. We are joined again by my co-host, the Reverend Dr. Anna Pinkney Strait. <laughs> or just Anna or is just fine. Anna. Or just Anna. <laughs> Hi, Anna. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad to be back. I've missed it. I've been grateful. Um, I think people had voices that needed to be heard and stories and introductions, but I've missed it. I think we have fans. A fan. I hope I think we, we have, have fans. I think we have a few fans, and I think they missed you. Um, I think all two of them probably did. So this is our pre-Holy Week show. We're getting fired up around here. We are. We're working on bulletins. We're, we've got recording schedules. It's it's all coming into view. We're recording this on the last day of March here. It is Thursday. So we have a Sunday coming up. And then the following Sunday is Palm Sunday, what I would call it. But what do, what do we really call it? Well, you're not wrong in calling it Palm Sunday because it is Palm Sunday, um, triumphal entrance, but we also have a little bit of passion. So we call it Palm Passion Sunday. And that's in part because we recognize that the way people's schedules are and the way life is, I mean, it used to be that Holy Week, um, you would be in church just about every day that week and there'd be a different emphasis. And so many people aren't able to do that, that what was happening is they went from this triumphal entry of Palm Sunday to the joy of Easter morning. And those are awesome events, but we really need that time in between. We really need to journey with Jesus through that week, through the supper, through Good Friday, to the tomb, so that we know how to welcome him on Easter morning. Is this Holy Week, is it like the biggest thing? Of the year? This is like the Super Bowl. Um, This is Jesus' Super Bowl. Christmas? Christmas? How does Um, Christmas versus Holy Week? Oh, Easter is the more theologically significant. Yes. Interesting. It is the, I mean, resurrection that the cross is empty, the tomb is empty, is the defining moment of our faith. And so Christmas is important because it begins the journey to Easter. So everything, yes, Easter, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And I mean, I remember the first winter I lived in West Virginia. I was in the northern part of the state. And I mean, I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, where there are flowers all the time. And that first winter, it snowed and the snow never melted. It was gray. And then that spring day when you saw the crocus just just bursting up from the snow. And it just it was this reminder that there is life. And I don't think I would appreciate it the same way if I hadn't been through the snowy winter. Um, so that's what Holy Week. We walk through it so that we have a deeper understanding of what Easter morning is. So we include some of that on Palm Sunday. Our reading will be, we'll start with the triumphal entry. We do palms. There's going to be a whole procession um, because we, we need to celebrate that. And people shouting Hosanna, which means help me. Um, and then Passion will be in the Garden of Gethsemane for the scripture for that day. Uh, okay, a couple of things. I hear you about the snow. Yes. Um, in the spring, mm-hmm. when I was a uh, younger, I grew up in South Dakota, oh and my I goodness. and as I've mentioned in the podcast before, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and so Palm Sunday was a big deal because it's still cold there, yeah. and then to see these tropical palms at church was like a real thing. Yeah. Uh, and then also I have a connection to Hosanna because I also went to Catholic school <laughs> and as a, as a young, young, um, 
version of myself, my best friend Roger. Uh, we'd go to mass during the school day. Yes. And when they would say Hosanna on high, we would like kind of like we'd be kneeling or something <laughs> with our heads down. And I and I would say something like Hosanna on rye, like a, <laughs> like a sandwich. And then we would giggle and then we would get in trouble. And then during the school day, I remember my third grade teacher, Miss Merkel, shout out. Uh, she would make us practice kneeling during the school day because of our shenanigans with the oh. sandwich jokes. I, I cannot argue with your teacher, but I find your sandwich jokes adorable. I don't. Yeah. It, like I said earlier in our little pre-show here, if that was the, the worst thing I did during Catholic Church, I think we're OK. You're doing OK. Yes, you are. So Palm Sunday, um, Maundy. Monday, Thursday, it comes from the New Commandment. Um, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. They gather for Last Supper. We are going to have an in-person worship service at 11 o'clock um, that day, and it'll include communion. It'll be uh, Marin is preaching. And then there will be a video that goes up on YouTube later that afternoon, as soon as we can get it from you and you can let go of editing um, yes, I'll, I'll be here to film that service and yes. then I'm going to edit in the afternoon and post it for the evening. I could do it. Yes, yes. But sometimes um, perfection is the enemy of good. Yeah, sometimes if there's lines a little different, I need to go back and re-edit. So I will do my best. Then it's Good Friday. Yes. And then it's Easter. It is. And Easter, um, this is, of course, my first Easter here. So, and and it's still, I mean, we're still, we're doing some things differently. Last year, we were outdoors. This year, we're hoping to be outdoors again. We'll be indoors, in person, in the sanctuary at 8.30. Then um, after that worship service, there's going to be some fellowship time outside. Um, there'll be, you know, like our fellowship cafe and an Easter egg hunt, which I love. Churches have started doing Easter egg hunts on Easter, which I, is that has just to be one of my favorite things. And we need volunteers for that and they need candy and eggs, but look in the bulletin, get the announcement. I don't want to make a mistake um, about what they need, but, and then we're going to have 11 o'clock worship outside. Just a note, if it, if there's weather's looking iffy, we will decide by Saturday at five. And the default is that we will worship indoors. So we have a good backup plan. Good backup plan. It sounds beautiful. I love the stuff outside. Yes. It's going to be great. Well, I want to, I feel like I want to tailgate here at the church for <laughs> Holy Week because this is the big deal. Um, and, and we'll have another podcast before then, so we might unpack it a little bit more. It's a it's a profound week. I love that you go through different emotions and because that's life. Um, life is not just all cheery. There's hard stuff and there's good stuff. And it's the coming together of all of it that makes it so rich. So I feel like that's present in Holy Week. Um, I am I am grateful for the chance to worship with people. Well, enjoy today's sermon. It's about silence. silence. It's about listening. Yes. Uh, and it's a great, uh, great pace and a great message. So uh, have a great week and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, Paul Scott. I am grateful for you. Let us pray. God of hope, God of possibility, as we turn to your word, we pray for your presence to sit with us in the silence. Guide us in quiet. 
teach us how to listen. Teach us how to listen. We ask it in your name. Amen. And now from the Gospel of Matthew, we are in the seventh chapter, at the end of the seventh chapter, starting with the 28th verse. Now when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and there was a leper who came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer that gift to Moses as commanded, as a testimony to them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are many things we need to talk about. There are many things we should be better at talking about. We should be better at talking about the stigma that surrounds mental health and mental health treatment that still discourages people from seeking treatment. We should be better at talking about addiction and the shame addiction often carries. We should be better at talking about issues surrounding sexuality and challenges that exist in relationships. We should be better at speaking up when someone says or does something that is hurtful. There are many things that we should be better about speaking about, speaking up, speaking with. That is true. But today, we're lifting up that there are times when we need to learn to be silent, to listen, to become aware of the deeper moving of the Holy Spirit within us, and to do that, we need to be quiet. We need to listen. In our text from Matthew for today, Jesus is coming down from the mountain. He concludes his landmark game-changing sermon with a wonderful allegory about men who build their houses on sand or rock, who are wise or foolish. And then Jesus comes down the mountain as one who has preached with authority and the people are astounded. I've often wondered what Jesus was thinking as he left the mountain. What was he feeling? What was he thinking? Was he worn out? Was he feeling vulnerable? Was he energized from what had just happened? Jesus doesn't say. The writer doesn't tell us. What we are told is that when he does come down from the mountain, the people are not ready to let go. They're not ready to let go of Jesus just yet. And among those of those who follow Jesus around is a leper, a leper who knows who Jesus is, knows what he can do. And so he kneels before him and says, Lord, if you want, you can make me clean. And Jesus chooses to make him clean, but says, go and tell no one, say nothing. Jesus said, say nothing. 
Jesus knew that being healed for this man was only half of the equation. He had to be welcomed back into the community. That's why Jesus sends him to the priests. Maybe Jesus just didn't want him to be delayed, delayed by joy, delayed by telling people what had happened. Maybe Jesus wanted him to hurry up and receive the totality of the grace, and he knew that the only way for that to happen was if he were quiet and made his way quickly to make the offering that was required. Maybe Jesus knew that nothing would speak louder than what this man's own body showed them, that there could be no testimony more powerful than this man's healed body, his clean skin. Actions are almost always stronger than words in life and particularly in faith. Say nothing, Jesus tells him and tells us today. Say nothing. What would happen if we were to take that a little more seriously, saying nothing? If we were simply choosing in times, in moments, in seasons of prayer to be completely present and silent? Do we even know how to do that anymore? What might happen in our spiritual lives if we did a little more listening than we did speaking? What might we hear? What might we notice? What might we hear if we took the time to listen? Would we learn to recognize the cry of a child who is in need? Would we hear the sounds of God being praised? Would we be able to recognize God's voice, calling our names, calling us in and sending us out. As we consider prayer in this season of Lent, one of the prayers we need to consider is the prayer that does not use words, but calls us to a different rhythm, a different pattern, silence, listening. As Mary Oliver wrote, a silence into which another voice may speak. Can we ever truly hear the will of God if we are constantly speaking? Now the importance, lifting up the importance of silence prayer doesn't mean that we get rid of words altogether, of course. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't tell God what's going on in our lives or what is on our hearts. One of my favorite passages about prayer comes from the author Madeline Alingle. She wrote A Wrinkle in Time and she wrote, when I am constantly running, there is no time for being. When there is no time for being, there is no time for listening. I will never understand if I do not slow down and listen to what the Spirit is telling me, what it all means in the light of love of the Creator who brought all into being, who brought me into being and you into being. Before I listen to God in prayer, she wrote, I must fumble through the prayers of words, of willful demands, the prayers of gimme's and help me's and of I want. The prayer of words cannot be eliminated, she said, and I must pray them daily, whether I feel like praying or not. Otherwise, when God has something to say to me, I will not know how to listen. Until I have worked through self, I cannot get out of the way. Prayers of silence are how we get out of the way and make way for God. We know that it was the still small voice that called Elijah. It was not shouting through the storm. 
It was not in the middle of the ruckus. It came out of the silence. Silence is not easy for most of us, of course. It's not easy for me. I know that I tend at times to use speech to cover up my fears, my insecurities. I know I am not alone when I use words to reassure myself that I am necessary to protect myself from the vulnerability of being quietly present, to avoid that deep fear that we are not lovable or that God's grace was meant for everyone else and not for myself. We can avoid that by just speaking, but you can't do that in the silence. As Michael Marsh writes, silence is more than the cessation of talking or the absence of sound. We've all experienced times when we were not talking and the world around us was quiet, but the world within us was filled with noise and voices that just would not be quiet. The real work and practice of silence is within us. True silence is not escape, but engagement, not emptiness, but fullness, not absence, but presence. It is a way of showing up and being present to God, others, myself, life, and the world. Mindful of the psalmist words, he writes, for God alone my soul in silence waits. I surround myself with silence and attempt to fill myself with silence. Waiting in silence is not necessarily easy or comfortable. The silence strips away the busyness, distractions, and entertainment. You are confronted with yourself, your thoughts, voices, temptations, all that you are and all that you are not. In this regard, the practice of silence becomes an act of repentance, turning around and going in a different direction. Silence invites me to repent from the need to justify, explain, and defend, from the need to be recognized, heard, and approved of, from the need to be accomplished, effective, and productive. Silence asks me to learn gracefully to do nothing. It reveals that I am not self-sufficient. That doesn't mean that I am deficient, but that my sufficiency is not found within myself, but in God, the one who created me in his own image and likeness. This doesn't mean that I am deficient, but that my sufficiency is not found within myself, but in God, who created me in his own image and likeness. For God alone, my soul in silence waits. Silence is not easy. And of course, this Sunday in worship, as we experience some times of silence, particularly in the prayer that is coming up, I know that in worship, silence can prevent its own particular challenge. It gives me no joy to confess that before I was a mother, I became a minister long before I was a mother, I did not realize this. I introduced and had all kinds of silent prayers and silent times in the worship. I had no idea what that would be like as a parent. While Einstein's theory of relativity was not intended to include the time that happens during silent prayer, I am convinced that if you are a parent with a child in worship, you know that when we pause for silent prayer, time slows down. 
and it goes like an eternity and you wait for that loud whisper or that cry or that crash and you hope and you pray as diligently as you have ever prayed for anything that if there is a sound that disrupts that silence, it will come from another pew. I have repented of this. I know it is not easy but I also know that as we learn to practice silence, as we will do in worship today, at the outset, I say it's okay to be uncomfortable and it might not be truly silent. In your home where you are watching this, in our worship service, it might not be truly silent and that's okay. This is a practice. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. If we don't try, if we don't practice, how will we ever learn to listen for the voice of God? Learning to be silent with God comes by practice. It gains, it helps us gain a deeper wisdom that guides us in discernment and making decisions, letting go of hurts, becoming aware of greater things and releasing the lesser things that we cannot do if we are constantly filling our space with language and words. How many times, many times, when I have stopped to listen, have I discovered that the way before me, the faithful path before me is clear, only I could not see it because my words were covering it. My words were distracting me from seeing and hearing. How often, so very often, my desire to speak is to fix or clarify, to make myself feel better, and a way to avoid the silence of being present with someone, not trying to fix them, but simply being present with them and their hurt. Silence teaches us. In one of the earliest episodes of the television show, Big Bang Theory, we get to know Rajesh Raj Kuthrapali. In the earliest episodes, he has a very, a very significant issue. He cannot talk to women at all. He is completely silent when a woman is even close by. So the new neighbor, Penny, encounters Raj in the hallway she doesn't know him well, but immediately she starts to tell him all of her problems. And he says nothing. He cannot physically speak to her, but she doesn't know that. So she keeps telling him her problems. She keeps letting them unfold. He says nothing. He cannot respond. She keeps talking until finally it is resolved. And she hugs him and thanks him for being such a wonderful listener. This beautiful rose has bloomed in their midst and it happens because Raj says nothing, says nothing at all. And that's because he didn't need to say anything. Penny needed to be heard. We can do that when we learn to be in silence, when we learn to listen. Silence is for prayer, but it's not just for prayer. It can transform our faith and it can also transform our lives. Jesus said, say nothing. Say nothing, Jesus said. It's not a punishment. It's not a warning. It's a gift. 
It's a gift that can help us receive the full grace of God, a gift that is waiting to be received. As Denise Levertov writes, as swimmers dare to lie face to the sky and water bears them as hawks rest upon the air and air sustains them, so would I learn to attain free fall and float into creator spirit's deep embrace, knowing no effort earns that all surrounding grace. That's the grace of listening, of being silent, of floating in the presence of God and allowing God's grace to sustain you. How might your own life be different if you learn to float quietly in that grace? How might it change if you practice that for a day, for a season? How might your prayer life change? How might you change? The invitation to silence reminds us that one of the greatest gifts of language and words is knowing when to hold them in, just as it is knowing how to use them. Best of any bird song, Wendell Berry writes, is bird song in the quiet. But first, you must have the quiet. Jesus said, say nothing. Amen. And now, friends, let us go out into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Know when to speak and know when to listen. 
May we get more comfortable sitting in silence and letting the love of God speak in our hearts and with our lives. Let us go in peace. Amen.